Hello, traders, analysts, and other followers of the energy industry. My name is Corey Stewart, and I'm a senior analyst with Refinitiv, your go-to partner for energy analysis and data. As always, I'm here with Jim Mitchell, Refinitiv's head of America's oil analyst. And today we have with us a special guest, Daniel Burns from our development partner from IIR. An important note, the opinions given by Jim, me, or any of our guests are our own and not those of Refinitiv or our parent company, the London Stock Exchange Group, also known as LSEG. So you want to trade crude? Energy Transition Edition. I'm your host, Straight L.K. Mitchell. We have a couple of good ones with us today. We all know our first player, Refinitiv's lead crude analyst, Condensate Condi Stewart. Buenos dias. Our next player from Industrial Information Resources is an analyst and a coder. Boots on the ground, bootstrap Daniel Burns. Thanks for having me to here today, guys. Each player will get the same three questions and have two minutes to make their points. Then we'll have a lightning round of three questions with 15-second answers to finish up the game. Before the match, we need rock, scissors, paper to see who will go first. Condi, you pick scissors and will field the first question. For anything to change, it must be measured. Can the energy transition be measured? Thanks, small block. That's straight eight. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, yes, from a uh, technical standpoint, using structural decomposition analysis. No, but really, that, that is a method, SDA. However, even defining energy transition is a debated issue. So prior to COP21, which resulted in the Paris Agreement, most just thought of energy transition as a shifting of primary energy source. For example, pre-industrial burning of wood as primary energy supplanted by the use of coal. Of course, industry brought greater energy needs and diversification of resources. So on a more micro focus, energy transition with U.S. power gen, coal, natural gas, renewables, nuclear, and oil, and the overtaking of King Coal by natural gas in, I believe it was 2015. But a subset of this argument is that we've never really had much of an energy transition. Instead, we've had only energy addition. So even where use of one source may diminish in one part of the world or Say one source overtakes another source, all are still growing with the growth of economies and population. It's just that the rate of growth for each source changes over time. So we are adding to the energy mix, and the sources of energy may make up different percentages of the mix at different times. So there is no real transition, just more energy need and jockeying for position. But anyway, post-Paris Agreement, energy transition is more aptly defined by the limit of global warming to 2.5 degrees Fahrenheit, which is a derivative of greenhouse gas emissions, which is a derivative of the burning of fossil fuels. And we say this because, for example, 74% of man-made GHG emissions in the U.S. can be traced to burning fossil fuels. Therefore, it's difficult to say that one single measurement works for measuring the energy transition, hence the use of SDA. But the most comprehensive indicator that we have are data on our region's carbon emissions. So, for example, increased mining to produce materials used in electric vehicles will lead to more carbon emissions, but we'll see the net benefit in the total emissions data. That's not to say that we are not creating other issues with the transition of one source to another, but under the accepted contemporary definition of energy transition, 
we would be meeting our goals by pushing GHG emissions down. It gets around the issue of energy addition, as even with enhanced efficiency, energy demand grows by measuring absolute levels of GHG emissions. Bootstrap. Thanks, Methane. To a certain point, with the growing pressure, not only from governments, but also investors are looking at ESG metrics, carbon capture and storage projects, renewable fuels and hydrogen, just to name a couple. Just this year, we saw multiple changes due to outside pressure from activist groups pushing harder on energy transition. I've both seen and done modeling around some of this project data. The data is out there. The issue I see is transparency and accuracy of data. How are we going to measure these energy transition projects in black hole countries like China and Russia? In countries like US, I think it can be measured, but energy transition affects us all. Transparency is key. All right, next question. HR 3684, Infrastructure, Investment and Jobs Act. What caught your attention? Mudflap? A few things caught my attention here, Alcane. Division A of Surface Transportation creates a grant program to aid electric vehicle charging stations, which can accelerate the adoption of electric vehicles. Keeping in mind with the growth of EV and battery industry, Division D Energy requires that the Secretary of Energy report to Congress on the cradle-to-grave environmental impact of batteries. I read an article the other day where a man needed to replace his EV batteries after eight years of use. It was going to cost $22,000 in 2021. Then, in Division G, other authorizations directs the administrator of EPA to produce best practices around the recycling of batteries. The recycling and proper disposal of batteries is not a clean process. Slabs or spent lead acid batteries must be smelted down, releasing harmful toxins into the air. Another key issue with slabs is tracking their waste across different country borders. There aren't many standards for reporting international waste product after it leaves the country. One last thing I found interesting, Alcane, was the Division B Surface Transportation Investment Act of 2021 requiring that cars outfitted with tech to address drunk driving. This can be a double-edged sword as it increases the safety for daily drivers, but also increases the risk taking at night for drunk drivers. If you think getting a vaccine mandate is difficult, this will be even more difficult amongst individual states, potentially resulting in a lack of funding from the Fed We've seen it before when Texas and Louisiana were the last to change their drinking age. All right, drip gas, what do you got? I'll take the category inflation for $1.2 trillion, please. <laughs> Wrong game. <laughs> okay, then, maybe a little quote by James Madison. It will be of little avail to the people that the laws are made by men of their own choice, that the laws be so voluminous that they cannot be read are so incoherent that they cannot be understood. I think if you put the Constitution plus amendments in 12-point font and normal margins, it takes up something like 30 pages. H.R. 3684 is 2,740 pages long. It's high time we make a law that states legislation must be drawn up by hand by one person in no greater than 200 hours or something like that. But I digress. Now, two things stand out to me. 
The first is that $39 billion has been allocated for public transit. It's nothing to sneeze at. It'll be used for stations, tracks, signals, power systems, etc., but also for buses and other vehicles. Part of that, actually $2.5 billion, is designated for low-emission ferries and buses. So that actually leaves room for considerable sums of money to be spent on vehicles that are not low-emission vehicles, i.e. traditional ICE vehicles. Uh, now, I think this is proper. I mean, I think it still helps to push for lower emissions, places inefficient aging vehicles with new, more efficient vehicles, but it's still a departure from the administration's goals to decarbonize. There are other areas of the bill which help to the end, like money for battery storage, recycling, et cetera. But it's just surprising to me that the bill even gives any leeway to what is otherwise directly acquiring ICE vehicles. The second thing, and compared to everything else, is somewhat de minimis, is $12 billion set aside for nuclear. Now, half of the money will be used to subsidize plants at risk of economic closure, and the other half will be used for advanced and smaller scale reactors. So the debate rages as to whether more nuclear should be part of the energy transition. So setting aside $12 billion for nuclear is interesting. All right, our third question. What do you see as the implications of making natural gas and nuclear part of the green discussion? CPAP, can you breathe some life into that one? I'll start here with green nukes. Starting with Germany holding a strong position to quote their economy and climate protection minister, Robert Habeck, called the plan greenwashing. Germany is currently phasing out all of their nukes with France doing the same. Strict policy around disposal of waste and mining of materials, which I'm not sure is mentioned in their policy, need to be considered as the actual fuel source produces no GHG. However, the mining for uranium is another question. Biogas has been around for a while in the U.S., mainly from rudimentary systems that use digester gas or capture gas from sewage. Now there has been a huge push for support in renewable natural gas or RNG as evidenced by a partnership between Dominion Energy and Smithfield Farms, the world's largest pork producer. Getting a greener gas would help a company slash its carbon footprint. RNG has flourished in Europe thanks to generous subsidy programs here in the U.S., companies like EQT Corp., Chesapeake Energy, and Chenier Energy are considering a responsibly produced gas certificate that could get up to 5% market premium. To paraphrase from an article in 2019, market forces alone won't be enough to usher in biogas revolution. The single policy that could supercharge the growth of biogas RNG in the U.S., most industry observers and insiders agree is a federally legislated price on carbon. All right. Thanks, Bootstrap. Condi, what do you got for us? Great question. Great question, Michael. Yeah. <laughs> well, I suppose if you can't meet your goals otherwise, then why not move the goalposts? So I assume the question really refers to the EU's move to the define as such, which wouldn't mean that every other country, region in the world does the same. 
But if this came to pass, and it could certainly serve as the model to others. On nuclear, what I think is funny is that France has lobbied for nuclear to be green. That puts it at odds with Germany. It's funny because, yes, France derives 70% of its electricity from nuclear and is a net exporter of electricity, but it also has the goal to reduce this to 50% by 2035, yet the lobbying. So the implications of making nuclear green, it, it already is, at least under the scheme I've discussed with how we are now defining energy transition and how the focus is on GHGs and not really anything else. The plan will be for new build plants through 2045 with safety, upgra- safety upgrades, and which would contribute to EU being a net zero emitter of GHGs by 2050. Now, the concern here is nuclear proliferation across Europe, as ESG dollars would be spent on constructing the plants, and the disposal of nuclear waste would become an increasingly larger problem. Uh, maybe. Now, as a model for other nations and ESG dollars flowing into nuclear investment elsewhere, I mean, also and maybe for Europe or probably, I think you're limited to technology sharing. So, for example, installing nuclear in African countries and Latin America, but also in acceptance. So, despite Fukushima, two nuclear reactors are under construction in Japan. But given past issues, further construction there and in other places would probably trigger substantial public scrutiny. Nonetheless, in Europe and perhaps some other regions, I do think this will lead to dollars dedicated to nuclear. Natural gas, well, I mean, others may argue, but I think it is necessary to label green to truly help with the transition. Under the US EU's proposed scheme, natural gas power plants would be deemed green if they produce below 270, 270 grams per kilowatt hour of CO2. Uh, the lobbying had been for 100 grams per kilowatt hour, but you know, what are you going to do? Anyway, uh, CO2 emissions limitations if they replace a more polluting fossil fuel plant and to get a construction permit by the end of 2030. Also, they must have a plan to switch to lower carbon feedstocks by the end of 2035. Uh, Recall previous podcasts here that we've discussed here that traditional natural gas power plants can be relatively cheaply and easily retrofitted around hydrogen. So I assume this is the aim. I think this is an easier idea to grasp in thinking about U.S. power. Because we saw the displacement of coal by cheap natural gas. That persisted until last year when we saw prices shoot up. Of course, not to the levels of those experienced by Europe. So, implications. I think you see ESG dollars devoted to new natural gas plants to help in diminishing any reliance on coal. But also, in the case of Europe, means more reliance on, one, foreign imports of gas, whether it be from Russia, not so great prospect, or via LNG. and Two, a greater likelihood that European-produced gas doesn't go away. And what I mean by this is Groningen. Their gas production was going to be halted by 2030, with nearly 70% of the reduction happening in 2021-2022. However, with the recent tightness in the natural gas markets, this year production is expected to be doubled. Given green goals and the fact that residents in the area have had to contend with frequent earthquakes, the plan to make gas green is a very contentious one. All right. Now it's time for ISO Octane with our lightning round. 15 second answers. I'll start with the first question. IRS section 45Q. Should it be 86th or can it be reformed? (sighs) IRS. Title 26, subtitle A, chapter 1, subchapter A, part 4, subpart D, 45Q, credit for carbon oxide sequestration. 
<sighs> reformed if and only if the numbers can be calibrated to market values. Now it's woefully out of touch and therefore will not be used. I'd also like to see more nature-based incentives. And finally, fix the contradiction on oil and gas injection. Oil and gas reservoirs are the perfect place to sequester carbon oxides. Bootstrap Daniel Burns, what do you got? Whoa there, catch your breath, Al Kane. I agree, it can be reformed. I too am a fan of this tax credit, as it is the legislation needed to promote the mitigation of carbon. As Al Kane mentioned, the IRS does has, have issues with the definition of secure geological storage. So the IRS is considering monitoring the secure geological storage and develop of ISO standard for carbon capture. All right, Condi? Continue reform. It's been, it's been evolving for more than a decade, so no reason it will stop now. Also, it's one of those parts of the code that kind of slips under the radar. Number one, doesn't lead to too much of a tax revenue loss. Number two, theoretically encourages adoption of carbon mitigation strategies. And third, somewhat benefits traditional oil production without encouraging growth via EOR. Politically, I think the only real concerns brought up, other than tax credits for EOR, are fraudulent claims and how monitoring and verifications are being performed. Domanda doe. Rank, healthy, sick, dead. PV, onshore wind, offshore wind, or solar concentrator. Bootstrap, go. All of them are sick, but in recovery needing soup. That soup being help from the federal government. State and local government battles are going to cause delays as these projects are likely to wind up in federal court. Condi? PV, uh, alive and kicking. Installation costs have fallen and forecasts for continued adoption. Also, if EVs take off, then we'll need, you know, there'll be a need for battery recycling and that will flow into storage. I still think th storage is key. Headwinds, localities that once allowed selling back to grid, but now limiting those sales could cause a cooling effect on widespread adoption. Onshore and offshore wind, uh, depends on where you're talking about. Both are healthy, but face challenges. Take vineyard wind, for example. Affecting fishing industry, assertions that cannot withstand Cat 3 hurricanes and lubricants will leak into water. Onshore has you know share of critics, assertions of disruption, migration patterns, and whatnot. But I think the issue here is land use. I think the Caribbean, limited land, what's the best use? Nevertheless, we'll continue to see wind energy growth. Solar concentrator, rest in peace. That's maybe a bit much. I want to say coma. Not a lot of future commitments and costs are steep as PV costs come down. Makes it even more difficult for solar concentrators to take off. And for our listeners, if you're not familiar with solar concentrators, they aren't just mirrors to make solar power more intense. They focus on the receiver, which drives a heat engine, i.e. the concentrated solar power creates steam, steam turbine, power generator. All right, so PV, healthy with the lingering viruses of land management issues and the forced labor of the Uyghur people. Onshore wind, common cold with some undiagnosed symptoms, land management, right away, and this ever-present economics thing. Also, we're going to start to hear more about the brain-scrambling vibrations of low-frequency waves, especially as the millennials are now starting to cross 40. Offshore wind? Wee bit peely Perhaps this group needs to realize they have a lot more in common with their offshore oil production lads than they want to believe. Solar concentrator? Dead. 
fixed the vaporizing of birds of prey problem, but can't get over the working with 800-degree molten salt issues. All right, now for our final question. Condi, let's see what you got left in the tank. Build back better Bill, Lazarus or Tupac? Okay, and I hope you enjoyed your first hydroxyl group. Um, I'm going to say Tupac. But we'll see its aims arise in future legislation. I think they just try to throw too many disparate subjects together. Bootstrap. Joe Manchin. More like Thug Manchin, as he was the proverbial gun that sent this bill to Thug's mansion joining Tupac. Although this bill lived like Lazarus and clearly had some very powerful friends, it died like Tupac, bickering with notorious J.O.E. It'll be interesting to follow if the death of this bill, like Lazarus, will be the beginning of the end for its powerful friends. All right. Thanks, Straight 8, and thanks, Bootstrap. That's all we have time for today. So thank you, everyone that tuned in. See you next time.